Father, we are thankful that we know you are good, that this is the day that you have made, that we can rejoice and be glad in it. That's not a a made-up emotion. It's true joy that transcends our circumstances because it's rooted in you, our loving Father, and your Son who you sent so that we might be adopted into your family. Uh, Now, as we turn our attention to your word that's given to us, would you open our hearts to receive it? Uh, Would we have the confidence to trust Jesus, knowing he has the power to protect us and one day to perfect us all by his grace? We pray these things in his mighty name. Amen. The late Queen Elizabeth II was known for having quite a sense of humor. Uh, After she had passed, one of her friends by the name of Richard Griffin told the story of walking in Scotland with her one day and coming across two American tourists. Uh, It was pretty obvious that when they met these tourists that they did not recognize the queen uh, because the tourists started asking them questions like, do you live in this area? Uh, The queen, never to miss a beat, said, oh, no, actually, I live in England, but I have a vacation house out here. So the tourists asked her, oh, you live in, in London, interesting. Do you, by chance, have you ever met the Queen of England? She said wryly, oh, no, I've never met her, but uh, my friend Dickie here, he knows her quite well. And so they were amazed. They said, wow, you've met the Queen of England. What's she like? And he said, well, she can be a little cantankerous, uh, but she does have a good sense of humor. I said, wow, you, you're almost famous. You have met the Queen. Would you take a picture with us? Here, would you take a picture of us with Dickie? And so, yes, the Queen of England took a picture with these two American tourists with her friend Dickie. Uh, The whole time she didn't let them in on the secret of her identity. And I have to wonder what it must have been like when they got those pictures developed. And maybe someone pointed out to them who it was that was uh, there. with. They they got a picture with her in it as well, so that's how that would have worked. Anyway, uh, identity. When you know who someone is, particularly someone with a lot of power, it changes the way you relate to them, doesn't it? You don't act the same way around just any old person you meet in the hills of Scotland as you do around the Queen of England. Uh, The same is true of Jesus. Uh, Many people have this experience. They're very interested in Jesus. His moral teachings inspire them. His life of virtue gives them a model that they look up to. Uh, Maybe they're even intrigued by spirituality and they find something attractive about him. But sooner or later, if they start looking deeply into what the Bible says about Jesus, something clicks into focus and they realize Jesus is much more powerful than they ever imagined. And at that moment, one or two things happens. Either they have a response of fear and they try to get away from Jesus, or they have a response of faith and try desperately to get close to him. Our our passage this morning is a bit of a turning point in Luke's gospel. Um, Last week, we heard the end of a series of teachings that Jesus gave about hearing the word of God, and not just hearing it, but actually living it out. Uh, Now we're at a section where the focus is on the identity of Jesus that's gonna be revealed to his disciples through a series of miracles. Uh, Miracles that show that Jesus is no mere teacher. No, he is the powerful master with the very authority of God 
Uh, authority over the storms and the spirits. Authority over even life itself. Uh, Jesus is the master that is going to call us to faith in him. The question is, will we respond with fear or faith? This morning we're going to look at these two narratives, both pretty well known, that both have the same function, to show us Jesus as the authoritative master that can both protect us and one day perfect us. Uh, This is the outline for the sermon this morning. First, verses 22 through 25, we'll see that Jesus is master of the storms. Jesus is master of the storms. Then in 26 through 39, we'll see that Jesus is master of even the spirits. Jesus is master of the spirits. And all together we'll see this, that you can put your faith in Jesus because he has the power to protect you and one day to perfect you all by his grace. Let's begin at that first section, 22 through 25. Jesus is master of the storms. Uh, Luke starts off the narrative telling us that after this block of teaching, Jesus tells his disciples it's time for a little time out in the lake. Let's get in a boat and let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Along the way, we find out that Jesus, like any good preacher teacher, knows the value of a good nap. Uh, He goes down into the bottom of the boat. They would have had a couch cushion type thing where if you weren't working as a fisherman on that shift, you could rest. Uh, Jesus lays down and immediately falls deep asleep. Uh, So far, so good. A beautiful day on the lake. Not a care in the world. Jesus sleeping like a baby. What could go wrong, right? Well, in verse 23, the action picks up. As Jesus is sleeping, we're told that a windstorm came down on the lake. Now, you need to know something about the Sea of Galilee. It's a bit of a basin. Uh, There's hills all around it, and that has a peculiar function of forcing hot air to go one direction and cold air to go another, and resulting in these very localized and very powerful storms to come seemingly out of nowhere. Uh, Even worse, since it's a lake and not an actual sea or ocean, Uh, The waves that are kicked up by those storms, they don't just go one direction. Uh, They go towards the shore, and then they bounce back and come the other direction, resulting in truly treacherous conditions. Luke is very brief how he describes it, and yet the scene is one filled with terror. Uh, The wind starts whipping. The boat starts filling, and their hearts start despairing. This is a dangerous situation, one that even expert fishermen, like some of his disciples, had real reason to fear for their very lives, and that's exactly what they do. Despite their efforts, they know that they are in trouble, and in just a moment, probably, they'll be sinking down to the depths. Uh, But they have one good instinct. When they're in trouble, to cry out to Jesus. One of them, we're not told who, goes to Jesus, who, sleeping like a baby through this whole thing, says, Master, Master, we are perishing. Now, I don't think Luke includes this detail uh, just to show us that Jesus is a particularly deep sleeper. Uh, Man, if you were on the men's retreat, uh, you know the value of being a deep sleeper when the storm of snoring was heard in your cabin. Some of us are deeper sleepers than others. Uh, But I think what we're supposed to see is a contrast. 
Uh, While Jesus is sleeping like a baby, they're bawling like a group of babies. Uh, Jesus doesn't have a care in the world. And here they are thinking the world is collapsing on top of them. The contrast could not be more vivid in that moment. Uh, But thankfully, Jesus is not unaware of what's happening, and he's certainly not indifferent to their plight. Luke, again, very uh, shortly describes it. No waste of words at all. He says he awoke, and Jesus then rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. Uh, Jesus did not have to wave his arms or do an incantation. He, He didn't need to pick up buckets to try to bail out the boat. He just spoke to the storm uh, the way you might speak to your dog when it's disobeying you. Shh, quiet. And the wind and the waves obeyed their master. A flat-out miracle. We're told in a moment, the storm, storm ceases and there is still over the lake. They are saved in that moment. And everything is peaceful and quiet, just like it was before the storm started. Now that's miraculous enough, certainly jaw-dropping, but the action of the narrative isn't just with the miracle, it's with the reaction to it. Look at what the, how the disciples react. You, you might think there would be clapping and whooping and thanking Jesus for what he did, but that's not what happens. Instead, Jesus says to them, where is your faith? He just got done rebuking the storm. Now he rebukes his disciples. In essence, asking them, don't you trust me? Don't you trust my heavenly father? You couldn't even show an ounce of faith in this moment. And look at the way the disciples respond to them. And, And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. What's going on here? Well, certainly the disciples have shown a failure to trust in the goodwill of the heavenly father that sent his son, Jesus. Uh, Jesus, in his sleeping, gives us a sort of example of the perfect trust of someone in the perfect plan of God the Father. Uh, Jesus, his whole life, was always obeying his father in everything. And he knew until the appointed time, there's not a single thing that could happen to him. There's no possibility that boat would sink. There's no possibility that his mission would end in a watery grave. Uh, There's no possibility that God's plan would be thwarted by a mere storm. Jesus knew it, so he was able to sleep in peace. But the disciples lacked the faith to know it, or at least to trust it. And so their hearts filled with dread and despair. But I think there's something even more happening here. Uh, The disciples' reaction isn't just of one of being in awe. Notice that there was that word fear. They responded in fear to something that was revealed about Jesus. What could that be? If you know your Old Testament well like they did, you would know that if you asked a faithful Jew back then, who has the power to still a stormy sea? you would get only one answer, Yahweh, the God of Israel. Uh, It's a theme running through through the Psalms. 
You can find uh, multiple passages that speak of God stilling storms and stopping waves. I think there's one passage in particular that drives this home, though. If you have your Bible, flip open to Psalm 107 and go to verse 23. Psalm 107, verse 23. And as I'm reading this, think of the story of Jesus and the disciples in that storm as I do. Starting in verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, that's Yahweh, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad that the waters were quiet. What's happening in that boat with the newly returned sunny sky up above them? Something is clicking into focus, uh, something that they won't understand fully until much later. But just a glimpse of it is enough for them to realize that they are standing with no mere teacher. They are realizing that Jesus is master of the storms. Uh, that Jesus, in some way, does the very work that only God can do. That he has the powerful authority of heaven over, yes, their boat, as well as the waters that hold that boat up. Over time, they will come to realize that Jesus was the one who created the world and everything in it, and who upholds that world by the word of his power. And there's not a thing that can happen to them, not even a hair that can drop from their head, because Jesus, their master, is also master of the storms in every arena of life. This passage shows us uh, the true humanity of Jesus. He was a man who got tired after teaching, needed a nap. But it also shows us the true divinity of Christ. Uh, he is true God from heaven, the eternal son. And as the author of creation, he has authority over all of it. Even the most powerful stormy seas and whipping winds. Uh, I saw a video on my timeline of Hurricane Ian as it went through Florida. Uh, horrible what happened. You know, over 100 people died in that storm. And the power of hurricanes just reminds us just how small we are, right? Uh, this video in particular showed uh, something you see every day when you're driving on the highway, a guardrail. And that guardrail was, at the beginning of the video, sitting sturdy and strong. But the end of it, the very tip of it, was about to get into some storm flood waters that were going very quickly. And as soon as they went into the water, the tip of that guardrail, the guardrail started moving like a rope that you were pulling from a side. It snaked and it went in just a couple seconds. That concrete, sturdy structure was gone. 
I thought, what sort of power did that storm have? Every time you see the might of a storm, we feel the fright of a tree that falls to the ground, or maybe even the terror of the earth itself shaking, you are to be reminded as a Christian that you serve the one who is master over all these things. And that is the most applicable thing in the world because it means that Jesus has the power to protect you no matter what situation you're in. Uh, Now to be sure, there are many storms in life where Jesus doesn't protect us the way we might imagine he would or hope he would. Uh, The experience of the Grant family this week is not unusual for Christians. Sometimes the bad news of a bad heart or a bad diagnosis of cancer results in our earthly life ending. But we're no less protected by the master of the storms because we're safe eternally in him. And one day, he'll give us a new body to live in a remade earth. And yet, we need to learn this lesson over and over, don't we? That no matter what the form of the storm, we still need to trust and have faith in the master of the storms, Jesus. When our lives feel like they're falling apart, and our marriages show the signs of stress, or we feel lonely and forgotten, it's been a long, long time since the kids have called. Uh, When we suffer mistreatment from our bosses, uh, when people accuse us of things that just plain old aren't true, When life seems so, so unfair, I feel like we're just gonna collapse under it all. Throw yourself upon the master of the storms. He has the power to protect you. And if you'll put your faith in him, you'll find in the midst of the storm, he was there with you all along. Uh, Jesus teaches his disciples this lesson very intentionally. Did he notice that detail? They ended up in the storm because Jesus said, let's get in the boat and go. The same is true for each of us in the trials in our life. They're not by accident. Uh, They are a loving lesson from our master with the power to protect us and lead us back through to the other side. Jesus shows us his powerful authority over the storms. Uh, This... This month, uh, it's funny how often this happens. Uh, Precious and I uh, teach the kids hymns in the evening. And she's got uh, a ministry that posts the hymn and we teach them the words, we sing it together each night. And it's amazing how applicable they are to what's happening in the life of our church. Um, I've been having this one going through my head all week and it's been a good thing because it's been a hard week for some of the reasons you know and many that you don't. It's called, Whatever My God Ordains is Right. Listen to these words and think of the master of the storms as he protects you through your dark paths. Whatever my God ordains is right. His holy will abideth. I will be still whatever he does and follow where he guideth. He is my God though dark my road. He holds me that I shall not fall. And so to him, I leave it all. 
And so to him, I leave it all. Brothers and sisters, you can trust the Lord of the storm with the safety of your soul. Put your faith in Jesus. Not even the winds or the waves can harm you without his good intention for your life. Second area where we see Jesus with the authoritative power of God is that he is master, not just of the physical, natural world, but second, he is master of the spirits. That's what we see in verses 26 through 29. Uh, This time, it is a completely different scenario. They arrive on that far shore, a place that's in Gentile territory called Gerasenes. As soon as they arrive, the action starts. Uh, Jesus finds himself confronted by a man who is possessed by demons. Now, oftentimes, we look down on people that suffer from demon possession, assuming that they have done some horrible thing that makes them deserving of their plight. But if you're careful paying attention to your Bible, Jesus never treats demon-possessed people that way. Uh, He treats them as people to be pitied, people in need of his help. Uh, This man is certainly to be pitied the way he is described. And just a few short verses, verses 27 through 29, uh, we're told that he has been naked for some time. Uh, He lives isolated, out away from everyone else, and in fact, he lives in a place of death. He lives in an area with a series of tombs around him. Unclean if you were a faithful Jew, but certainly with the stink of death on him. Uh, We're also told that he was fearsome and uncontrollable. Uh, People had tried to chain him up to keep him from harming himself and others, presumably. Uh, But with some sort of unearthly demonic strength, he would break those chains off and keep raving and wandering around. Uh, We're told his personality was dominated Uh, That demon would drive him off into the desert, not into a place you want to go. And once Jesus starts speaking to him, it's the demons that are speaking and not this poor man. Uh, This is a very dark, dark encounter. Um, Even more interestingly, this is not the first time that Jesus has faced off with demons in Luke's gospel. If you remember back to the early days of his ministry, back in chapters 4 and 5, Um, He was casting out demons from very early on, and there was even one night where he did nothing except heal people and cast out demons, one after another after another. But when Jesus starts speaking to this man and asks him his name, the man responds back and says, it is legion. Uh, That is tipping us off that this man is not possessed by a single demon or even a couple of demons, but with a whole army of them. Uh, A legion was a group of Roman soldiers, up to 6,000 of them in number. I don't know if there were 6,000 demons inside this guy, but the point is that Jesus is facing off not just with a couple of demons, but with an entire division of them. Is Jesus going to be powerful enough to even deal with someone plagued by a whole army of Satan's forces? Well, right from the beginning, we actually see that This is not a contest whatsoever. From the very beginning, the demon is pleading with Jesus. Uh, He knows exactly who he is. A little more irony there. The disciples don't know who Jesus is, but the demons know who he is. 
And he's pleading with them, are you here to torment us? Don't send us into the abyss, Jesus. The implication is Jesus can do whatever he wants with them. He has more control than you do with your dog on his leash. This way or that way, it's no thing for him whatsoever. What are the demons afraid of? The abyss is the underworld. Uh, The Old Testament pictures it as a deep, dark hole, a place that you sink down into never to return, Uh, a place where God's enemies will spend their forever under a sort of punishment of gloom and darkness. Uh, The demons want desperately not to be sent down that deep, dark hole of the depths. So they give him an alternative. They say, Jesus, instead, would you send us to that group of pigs over there? Now, it's not exactly clear why the demons think this is a good idea. Uh, Maybe they think they could pull a fast one on Jesus, get in the pigs and run off and do something. I don't know. Uh, Whatever it is, they think that the pigs are preferable to the depths of the abyss. But did he catch the irony of what happens? Uh, Jesus tells them, okay, go in the pigs. 2,000 pigs simultaneously possessed by this group of demons. And then where do they go? Immediately, this herd of pigs stampedes into the water and sinks down to a watery grave. The demons want to do avoid the depths of the abyss, and they find themselves sinking down to it anyway. Uh, Jesus, in this story, shows us he has utter control over the spiritual realm. Uh, Even the arrayed forces of Satan and his minions that seek to thwart God and hate everything about Jesus. Uh, They have no more ability to stop Jesus than a spider web has to stop a, a stone hurled at it. They're utterly powerless. And with just a command, they go precisely where they don't want to go. Uh, This is all foreshadowing what will one day happen to Satan and all his forces of darkness when Jesus will defeat them with the very sword of his mouth, his word. It won't be a contest on that day either because Jesus is master of not just the storms but of the spirits as well. After the demons are gone, once again we realize that the miracle is in some ways just set up for the reaction to it. Uh, the herdsmen for the pig, uh, for the uh, herd of pigs, uh, verse 34, we're told when they saw what happened, they run off and they go to the towns looking for a series of people to come be witnesses and to come back with people from all over the place to see what has happened. And when they come back, what do they see? Well, a bunch of very soggy pigs for one, but they also See that formerly demon-possessed man, that man who had suffered and lived under darkness for so long, now freed and whole. Uh, Look at the way that Luke describes it. Verse 35, then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. What a scene that must have been. Uh, Once again, you might think they would say, wow, great job, Jesus. Pat him on the back, thank him. See what other problems he might be able to solve. 
That's not the way they respond, is it? Uh, no, because when you're confronted with who Jesus is, uh, the powerful master with the very authority of God, you have one of two responses, either faith or fear. Uh, we're told there twice that they're fearful. Once, just that they had fear. A second, that they had great fear. So great was their fear that they tell Jesus, please go away from us. Get back in your boat and leave. We want you as far away from us as we can have. Why would they respond that way? Uh, why would a group of people that just witnessed such a miracle of even a man be delivered from such a great bondage, why would they send Jesus away? Well, at one level, it shows that they cared more for their pigs than for this poor man who had been suffering. The loss of 2,000 pigs would have been a great economic blow. I'm sure whoever owned those pigs was not happy about what just happened. And they definitely valued more the almighty dollar than this dear man who was finally free of his demonic oppression. It's captured well by a poem that Kent Hughes put me onto, written by a guy named John Oxum. Rabbi, be gone. Thy powers bring loss to us and ours. Our ways are not as thine. Thou lovest men, we lovest swine. Oh, get you hence, omnipotence, and take this fool of thine. His soul, what care we for his soul? What good to us that thou hast made him whole, save we, since we have lost our swine. It's very possible to love ourselves and our prosperity more than we love people. And it's a sad thing that this leads this group of people to send Jesus away, lest he do more damage to their herds. And yet I think there's another level of something that's happening here. Think about what a threat someone with the power of Jesus might present to you. Uh, if you were someone that liked the way your life was, and someone like Jesus shows up completely uncontrollable in the amount of power he possesses, uh, someone who even would dare to transform your very life with that power, it could be the greatest of all threats to you and to your rule and reign over your own life. Uh, Tim Keller often says this, one of the most threatening things about the gospel is that we contribute nothing to our own salvation. Uh, we can't force God into loving us or forgiving us. We can't do a thing to earn the salvation that's ours in Christ. And that's a frightening thing because since there's nothing asked of us, there's nothing that Jesus can't ask of us. You see, once he saved us and it's, we're his totally, we have no right to refuse our master and his good intention for our lives. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. I wonder if one of the things that might be keeping you away from Jesus is you secretly, or maybe even knowingly, don't want certain things in your life to change. Uh, maybe you know that following Jesus in some way is going to mean a set of changes in your life. 
That's true. Uh, Jesus not only forgives our sins by his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection, he also begins transforming us from the inside out. And that means that even though there's no condition to us coming to him in terms of morality, that we can't remain the same people that we were. He will change us as our master. Uh, maybe you know that and you are frankly a little afraid of that. Now, one of the common misunderstandings people have about this is that if they submit to Jesus' powerful rule over their lives, that somehow their personality goes away, they stop being them, it becomes some sort of automaton or robot. But friend, that's never the case. When Jesus sets a person free and takes them under his authority, they are more themselves than they ever were. They are freed from the oppression of darkness. They are clothed in the righteousness of God. And the true person, made in the image of God, is able to shine through with the grace of Jesus. Uh, friend, don't be afraid of not being you if you come to Christ. Oh, you'll change, but it'll be for the better. And you'll never regret bowing your knee to Jesus and his powerful rule in your life. But friend, not only do I need to offer that invitation for you to come to Jesus, I have to warn you. Uh, the people in this passage that asked Jesus to go away, it is a sad, sad truth that Jesus did precisely what they asked him to. If you refuse the powerful, good master of all that is Jesus, if you tell him to leave you alone, go away. If you keep doing it again and again, friends, sooner or later, one day, Jesus will do what you ask. There'll be no more opportunities to come sit at his feet, to find healing and wholeness. Respond to Jesus with faith while there is opportunity. None of us know how long we have to live, and none of us know how many opportunities we have to repent. Now, to all of us who are Christians, are Christians here this morning, there's another example given for us here of what it is to live under the powerful and good reign of the master of the spirits, Jesus. And that comes from the man who was healed. Uh, that man has the most earnest of desires to stay with Jesus. In verse 38, it says he begged to stay with him. And yet Jesus didn't grant that request. He sent him away. He said, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. Now, on the surface, that seems a little cold. He just wanted to hang out with Jesus. What better thing to do? And yet Jesus had something even better and more joyful for him. Uh, this formerly demon-possessed man becomes the first commissioned missionary of sorts to his own hometown. Jesus sends him back into this Greek Gentile area long before the apostles would be sent to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and tells him to go tell everyone what Jesus had done. Far from being a cold, painful thing, this is actually a task of great honor that Jesus lays upon this dear brother in the Lord. Now, all of us as Christians need to live with this reality 
Jesus is our master, and he can ask anything of us. Now again, that does not mean that we are to think that our Christian faith is to be one of mere duty. Uh, living as if we would much rather be doing something else, but Jesus forced us to do this instead. Now it's a joy to serve Jesus in whatever realm of life he gives us to be faithful witnesses to what he's accomplished in our lives. Uh, much like this man, we have experienced a miracle of Jesus' deliverance. Uh, formerly, we were naked and shameful in our sins, and Jesus has clothed us in his righteousness. Uh, formerly, we were isolated, aliens from God, and he has brought us close by his blood. Uh, formerly, we were under the power of Satan and his demons, yet Jesus conquered over them at the cross and set them to open shame so that we could live victoriously in him. And brothers and sisters, that means no matter what he asks us to do in whatever realm of life, it's a good, good way to spend a life serving Jesus with joy. Uh, you can do that whether you're a missionary that goes to an unreached people like this guy did, or if you live your whole life in your hometown as an accountant or a stay-at-home mom or as a barber, if you do it to the glory of God and out of the joy that's yours in Jesus, you are no less a missionary than this first one that was sent or the ones that go halfway around the world to proclaim the name of Christ. If we remember that Jesus and his powerful authority are not only to be feared, but to be trusted, and we can serve him with joy, even in the storms, and even when the spirits seem to threaten us. I wonder if maybe, even just in your experience here in Castleton, you, like many believers, are feeling as if the forces of the enemy have a, a, sort, a certain momentum to them in the age we live in. Uh, Precious and I were uh, at the movies recently. We don't go to movies much these days, but went to a PG-13 movie uh, we're sitting there, and I was frankly shocked by a trailer that came up that was more explicit and more vulgar than any trailer to a movie I had ever seen. And that was in a PG-13 movie. I, I almost wanted to get up and leave. Thankfully, it was over quickly. You're not wrong to notice that in some ways, things are definitely getting darker. That's not wrong to notice. But don't despair, because you serve the one who is master of the storms and of the spirits. And no matter where he sends you or what conditions he has you proclaim his name, he has the power to protect you. And one day he'll finish his work to perfect you. So you can respond to him in faith. Would you pray with me? Uh, Jesus, I know that there are many here this morning having particular battles and storms that they are wrestling with right this very moment. Thank you, Jesus, 
for understanding what it is when our faith is failing us. Thank you for your grace that extends even when we are too weak of ourselves to do anything but to cry out to you in desperation. Uh, Jesus, now would you grant us the grace, the grace to trust you with all the trials that we might face, uh, with all the foes that we might have to face down. Uh, Would you grant us the grace even to have a measure of joy as we serve you and worship you and tell the whole world about all that you've done for us. Uh, Jesus, we confess that you are the master of the storms and the spirits, and that you are the master of our souls. We worship you, and now we lift our voices to you. We pray in your name. Amen.